Hello, listeners. I'm really excited to tell you about our spring retreat, April 26th through 29th. If you felt like prayer is difficult or a task, or you're just burned out this spring, and you'd like to get away and be with God, this retreat is for you. We spend three nights in the beautiful Colorado Rockies, and we take care of everything for you, the food, the lodging, everything. This spring retreat is specifically designed for people who are new to spending silent time with God or taking chunks of time with God. Uh, we offer a lot of support with some extra classes and things that are, of course, all optional. You don't have to do them. You can just come be with God, but we'll also help you do that. So we'd love to see you. Space is pretty limited. We only have 10 slots available. So if you're interested in coming, please sign up soon. We'd love to see you. You can find out more at signpostend.org slash retreats. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Back Porch to the Signpost In podcast. Um, I'm your host, Brandon Booth, and I'm here today with my co-hosts, uh, Peter Gamble and Matt Boland. Hi, guys. Good to have you here. Hey, great to be here as always. We are today continuing our series focused on exploring the Lord's Prayer. So in this episode, we're going to cover the first half of the prayer, what's sometimes referred to as the thy or the your petitions. Um, we just, our last episode was in the introduction, so if you haven't heard that, go back and check that one out to give some context to this one. But before we jump into talking about the Lord's Prayer, I want to experiment with a new element to the show, if you will, uh, something like updates from the back porch, where we get to talk about something that interests us and just update you guys uh, on that stuff. So uh, it could be anything and we'll see where it goes. So Matt, I, I told you you were going to be on the spot first. So give us an update. Sure. So um, I guess uh, I guess people who have been listening for a while uh, know, and you guys definitely know that uh, that I'm a big fan of, of Christian apologetics. And that's something that I I work on here in my hometown. Um, we have a group that meets uh, regularly to discuss things. Anyway, so this year um, coming up, we've been planning it's about what we're going to be talking about. So we're, we're kind of leaning into the first half of the year discussions about pluralism and um, also in regards to uh, uh, responding to cults. So I actually just got a, a book, uh, it's on its way, called Freedom of Mind, and it's written by a, not, uh, not a Christian book, it's, it's written by a uh, criminologist who studied uh, how cults grab onto people and control people and just the different tactics they use. And I'm super interested to kind of dive into that and do a little bit of research and us discuss it from an apologetic perspective, but then also just kind of a, a self-reflective perspective because uh, you don't have to be in a cult to be in an unhealthy religious community that uses cult-like tactics. So um, that might be a little dark, uh, but at the same time, I'm really excited and fascinated to dig into that. Dude, I have an unhealthy habit of like researching and thinking about cults. I, it, 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 <laughs> It's like, it's super fun. There are so many weird cults out there. It's all about the human psychology though, right? Like, why do we get into it and what? Anyway, so I'll have to either buy the book or you'll have to send it to me when you're done. That sounds fascinating. Definitely. <laughs> That's cool. Okay, uh, Peter, bring us an update from, from Gamel World. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. So I really wrestle with the winter months. I don't like them. I don't, you know, it's dark, super early and cold. And 
I normally in the summer, you'll catch me like an evening or two a week. I'll go to the local high school to play disc golf, you know, because it's light out until like 830 and I have plenty of time after work, after dinner even. And it really bums me out that I can't do that around this time of year. So I've been trying to figure out um, how do I have, how do I have some sort of creative outlet where I'm doing something with my hands? Um, Cause you know, I, I need that. I need that outlet for me. And so recently for me, um, that has looked like um, learning a bit about book binding and that's probably too uh, serious of a term. I, I've been working on some journals. I've got some paper, uh, you know, and a whole punch and a awe and threads and stuff. And I've been, um, I love taking notes. I like journaling. Um, I've got this whole um, minor obsession into like stationary things and pencils and stuff. So I've been like, oh, let me like create my own pocket journal. So I've been kind of down that rabbit hole um, and have recently used those same tools that I use for um you know, binding these journals to make a little like leather project, a leather sheath thing. So that's been really kind of fun for me um, to try and figure out a way that um, in the evening I can still be doing something creative, kind of engaging my mind, um, even though I'm not able to be outside enjoying the sun. So that's how, that's a little bit you, of what I've been up to. How do you define a minor obsession? Because I'm curious if it's actually minor or not. All right. I'm in denial about a major <laughs> obsession. That's how you define it. I've definitely gone, and I've gone down the rabbit hole on YouTube of of people who are doing that, uh, creating journals, book binding, uh, leather work, and, and it's, it is super fascinating. Luckily, I already yeah. have too much to keep me busy. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I have my I have my first project journal over there in my little satchel thing. Oh yeah, you're, well I mean you should certainly grab it at some point and show everybody. Um, the other question I have for you is, you the tool name. How do you spell the name of the tool? The awe. Yeah, I think it's A W L. Is that okay? Aw. I thought so. Aw. How do you, how do you say that word? I've never known how to say that word. Is it? Is it just you leave off the L? It's an aw. Aw. So there's sort of an L. There's like a fake L there. It's like saying the word like all, but with a W sound in the middle. Okay. All right. Like, yeah, a, I, like Texas. Like saying y'all, but without the Y but, in front. What's up, y'all? <laughs> yeah, what's up, all? Okay. That's all perfect, right. Matt. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. So here's my update. Um, and, and Peter, I'm going to have to try to find the meme so you can like show it on screen oh the, on the video cast, but, um, there's this, okay. My update is actually <laughs> that I'm fascinated by the world of Bitcoin. I always have to like say, I'm not crazy. I, I don't think that Bitcoin is the, uh, savior of the world. Cause there's so much crazy stuff around Bitcoin, but I am so fascinated by the world of specifically Bitcoin, not just mm -hmm. cryptocurrency at large. Because like lately, here's the really nerdy part. Um, it went it went down in value big time at the beginning of this year. Like it lost 80% of its value, right? And like that's huge. That's like the like that like wrecks people. Like that if you're if you're doing a lot of if you like have all your eggs in that basket, you're wrecked. On the other hand, it also like goes up like 10% at a, in a day and it'll drop 
10% the next day and then goes up 20% and then drops 5%. It's crazy. It's like this massive roller coaster. It's super fun to watch. Um, anyway, so now it's gone back up and it's like gone up 50% in the last month. All right. All that to just say it's really fun to watch it and it's really especially fun to watch the news around it because you have all of the financial people are talking about stuff like they're used to talking about the stock market. So if there's like a 3% drop, they're like, this stock is crashing. Well, you know, Bitcoin will do 10 or 20% in an hour. And so anyway, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's so crazy. And it's super fun. But it's also been around. So it's 15th birthday is in January. And if you look at the all time chart of how much it's gone up, it's like, I want to say 8,000%. I can't remember. It's like, it's utterly insanity right now of how much money it's got up. If if anybody, and nobody was, but if anybody had been smart enough to actually buy it when it was brand new, which you couldn't even do, basically, you had to know all kinds of stuff. It, it's insane. It's super fun to watch. I keep I keep enjoying it. Um, but talk about a cult, dude. Like, there are cults around this. There are cults around this that are nuts. And every now and then I wonder, wait, am I in a cult? <laughs> so. <laughs> all right. That's all I got. Um, I'm not trying to sell anybody Bitcoin. Though, point of fact, Signposting <laughs> does accept Bitcoin as donations. We do actually do that because I believe in it that much. Uh, all right. Join the cult, boys. Join the cult. Um Let's jump into our actual meat of the show about the Lord's Prayer today. Um, listeners, if if you liked us talking about our updates, please send us an email and let us know. If you hated it and say, never do that again, send us an email and let <laughs> us know. <laughs> um, who knows what we'll talk about? Uh, okay, let's jump into the Lord's Prayer. We are going to talk about the first half of it, the, the, the uh, thy or our petitions. If you remember the Lord's Prayer, then you'll know that it starts with our Father, and then later on it says, give us this day. So it's there's one way of dividing up the, the prayer into all of the conversation that you have with God where you address him, give us our thy will be done, etc. so thy, and things we ask for for ourselves. Anyway, so the first half here is the things that we're addressing to God, and I want to start a little bit, uh, start by rereading a quote from Father John Gavin's book, The Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, which we had an interview with him uh, last year, loved it, go back and listen to it. But here's here's one of the fascinating things he says. He says, the one who prays the Lord's Prayer agrees to follow the way of the cross established by Christ. The prayer provides a map for body and spirit it guides both the individual and the community through the appropriation of Christ's descent and ascent. Jesus gave us this prayer to receive it, excuse me, and to receive it and to live it conforms us to Christ. And it's that last part that I think let's hold on to as we go. It's that the that as we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are we receive it. Like, this is a deep mystery that prayer is a, a response to God. So that when we are praying the Lord's Prayer, we're actually always responding to something that he's doing for us and in us before we even pray. 
And the words themselves, I mean, they are God's own words. They're Jesus's words. So there is something first for us in it, gifted to us in our saying of these words and praying this kind of prayer. And then we're also doing something. It's conforming us. It's changing us. And we are actually, we are invited, I would say, to do some actions, to to change our, um, to do thing, to do things, and that's that's what we're going to talk about. So, as we go through these petitions and, and unpack them just a little bit, that's the structure that I'm going to offer. Which is, with each thing that we talk about, there's something for us to like meditate on, to chew on, to receive a truth, a gr- a grace. And then there's something invited of us to, to surrender to, to act on, to um, move forward with. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and to that to that end, it's just popping into my mind right now, partly because of a hilarious video. So I have Pav- Pavlov Brain Pete over here. There's these Jesus videos on YouTube by Vintage Twenty One Church. Hilarious. Please go look them up. <laughs> But you know, Jesus talks. They read. If you don't mind, a, if you don't mind a little bit of light, light, light blasphemy. Um, it's not, I wasn't gonna say blasphemy. It's not blasphemy. No. It's it's irreverence. Light right. irreverence. Right. It's obviously sarcastic, though. Basically right. about how Jesus is totally not. They read up Jesus's voice in a movie to talk like this and say all sorts of funny things. But one of the things he says when he's sitting around with his disciples in the temple, he says. Repeat after me, thee before thou, except after thine. (laughs) You know, I I find that hilarious. But it it was bringing to mind, you know, when you talk about these thy um, petitions and stuff. And and frankly, some of the language that has been continued with the older English sayings of the Lord's Prayer. I'm wondering if it is somewhat of a stumbling block or obstacle for some people to get into that meditative state because they're like, what is this language? Our father who art in heaven, who the heck says that anymore? Hallowed be thy name. Thy, like, why am I talking to God like this? And I don't know. I didn't. So silly little thought, but also like, I understand what you're saying, but I'm wondering too, um, does, I'm wondering if just acknowledging that as a potential, uh, a mental block or thing that people encounter as we you know, say the Lord's Prayer. And would you have anything to say to us as we get distracted by the phrasing? Yeah, I mean, go pick the modern version. <laughs> pick the version that says your your will be done. Um, you know, our Father who is in heaven. I mean, pick, you know, like there's, there's renditions of it essentially that are more modern language and absolutely use that. That's, that's fine. It, it, the only reason I think the, so I, this it's a this is the classic example of the way that kind of liturgy or um, language in church and every church does it right. You learn certain phrasings and then they just stick and you can't change them. Not because there's anything against changing them, but because everybody knows it that way. And if you change it, then when you say it, ever like you have five people saying it this way and five, and everybody gets confused. So there's nothing. Yeah, there. I, the thy language is obviously the old, it's just the King James language. That's where it came from. And it, it got into a bunch of hymnals and got stuck. And so I I just know the thy one. That's the one I know. Anyway, anyway so 
the beauty of the idea that the Lord's Prayer conforms us to the life of Christ. It really is powerful when, as we go through it, you notice that the, the prayer walks us through the Christian life, the life that imitates Christ. The central thing being the act of faith, the total dependence on God the Father. And when the church fathers talk about the Lord's Prayer being like a compendium or all of the gospel is contained in the Lord's Prayer, they really aren't kidding in the sense that each of these things that we're asked to meditate on and asked to do are kind of like the central points of what Jesus taught that the, 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 you, you really can't get more. So that's one of the reasons why I would argue, or I wouldn't argue, I would just recommend kind of to your following on that point, Peter, there's such beauty in having the prayers simply memorized, right? It's so simple that a kid can memorize it and not know what it means. That's such powerful things because now you have it in there later, you'll understand it. But we do also have to do the work of not letting it become simply rote and simply a, you know, like it's not a magic charm. We don't pray the Lord's Prayer and somehow the words themselves magically do something. There's always the invitation and there's always the opportunity whenever we pray it to deeply meditate on what we're saying and take really seriously what we're committing to doing when we say the words or what those invitations ask of us. So the balance there is, you know, if you're in a church that uses the Lord's Prayer and they just say it as part of their liturgy, there's really great power there and it's just being a collective thing that the community says together. That's how the prayer was written anyway. And it's okay to not like deeply meditate on each word every time you do it. Let it be a prayer that is just, these are God's words said back to God in the context of a church. One or two things might pop out to me, maybe nothing. It's still okay to just say it in that context in a kind of ritual setting. But I would also say, don't miss the opportunity to then pray it more meditatively more deeply, more slowly. So one of the thought things I offer is you can pray the Lord's prayer very slowly by saying the petition. It's almost like a breath prayer, right? So, um, breathe in, breathe out as you say, our father who art in heaven and pause and dwell with that language for a few moments and then breathe in and then say the next petition and dwell with those words. Um, Luther has this fantastic phrase about, so his morning prayer routine was crazy, right? He'd get up, he'd go to the church, he'd say the creed, he'd say the, uh, he'd read some passages of scripture, he'd say the Lord's prayer, or go over the t Ten Commandments. The, you know, he he so he had this very set thing, but one of the things he says just in the middle of this letter that he wrote about all that is that sometimes he's praying or reading something, and the Holy Spirit begins to speak. 
And at that moment, he's, his advice is to stop all your reading, to stop all your reciting, and just let the Holy Spirit speak because one word from the Spirit is worth 10,000 of my own words. And it's just a little insight, I think, of how people who we think of sometimes as being um, super dry and rote are not, that these things were really enlivening. You know, he he was reciting stuff for his prayers every day, but he'd get to a petition of the Lord's Prayer, and this is where the comment comes in, and thoughts would start going, and he would just pause all, he would stop reciting, and he would just let those thoughts happen, and he would think about that, he would dwell on that petition. Very, very personally, very, um, you know, experientially, which I think is really cool, and I, I recommend the same to all of us. Um. All right, so... The first, the first thing to note, this pr the prayer begins with, right, our Father. And all of the commentators make a huge deal out of these two words. First, they note, most of them note, that it's it starts with the word our. It doesn't start with the word my. So they note that this is a... Uh, communal prayer it is a prayer that jesus intends and taught for us to use in community settings first of all but also that we are referencing the whole of the community of believers like whenever we pray this prayer we are praying with all christians everywhere and it, that's that all the all of the commentators note this it's like we're we start by putting ourselves within the community of the family of god and then of course it's father which that is okay here's something really fascinating this is um this is the only place in scripture where jesus says the phrase our father he says my father he says your father but he never says our father except for this spot right here hmm and many commentators have made a lot out of this, I think rightly so. And one of the things to reasons is in the Jewish community, the sense of God being father was present. They talked about God as their father, but it was always in terms of him being the creator and us being his creation, um, him being the almighty. So in fact, most of the time that the if you go through the Old Testament, if you look through the the way that the Jewish the Jews thought of God as Father, most of the time it was it was in a repentant sense, it was in an awe sense, right? Like the fact that God is our Father is great cause for repentance over our sins <laughs> and His anger. Hmm. And here, there's a deep, deep mystery. And mystery just means opportunity, not something we don't understand. It means it means something to to meditate on because there's a lot of meaning to it. Jesus is inviting us to call his father our father. It's like Jesus saying, Hey, my father is your father. It's it's our father. And also he's inviting us to say the father of all of us. He's our inviting us to think of him as our father. Uh Luther makes a big deal out of this in his catechism saying, 
we are invited to talk to God, the Almighty, like dear children to his dear their dear father. Which really should be mind-blowing in terms of what Jesus is offering to us. Here's this idea that we're asked to receive or we're given a grace to receive is that Jesus is saying, you have been adopted into the family of God. You can approach God, the father almighty, as we say in the creed, you knew him as the almighty creator. Now I'm inviting you to treat him, to approach him like your dear father who loves you and is good to you and wants the best for you. Remember the context of the prayer, especially is it, uh, I can't remember Matthew or Luke, but the one in which he says, you as you sinful fathers know how to give good things to your children. How much more will the, your heavenly father know to give you good things? Right there is the idea. Like this is just a radically different way of thinking about God, that we are invited to think of the king like, like he is our doting father and we are allowed to, invited to approach him that way. So just in those two words is the entirety of the like most important part of the gospel. That because of Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. We are at peace with God. We have been forgiven by God. And we are now given access right to the king like children have access to the king. And Matt, I think you talked about this last time. It's that uh, podcast from Keller, right? Like, right. yeah, the, the king, only the children get to ask the king in the middle of the night for something. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know what else to say other than just like pause for a minute and recognize that what Jesus, when he, when, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. The first thing he said is, yeah, the way to pray is as if God is your doting father and you can ask him for anything. And he wants to hear from you even in the middle of the night. Dude. None of them had the context of prayer like that. Right. And I think we struggle with that. Exactly. Well, and that's what I was, I was as you're talking, I was going to chime in on that because, um, you know, for some people, um, some people struggle praying to God as their father uh, because of baggage that's attached to that word um, from their past, um, from, th from their own earthly fathers, um, and so for, for some people, the word father is a, um, is a negative term, um, right. Or, or something that has very painful associations from their past. Um, and you know, I guess I, something I'd want to say is I think, I think God wants to push through that. I think God wants to redeem that word in all of us, um, because it is profound, um, and 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 I think that it is one of the greatest senses in which God wants to be that in, for us in our lives. Um, I think I think every human being has an archetype in their mind for what fathers should be. Fathers should be strong, protective, caring, loving. I mean, all of these things. the 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 associate the the archetype for what we believe fathers should be is all good. And whenever and the bottom line is every single one of us have experienced to some degree the corruption or the fallen um, nature of that in this, um, yeah. which is hard for people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the idea that he wants to like redeem that 
that word, that relationship. And I think that's so true. Um, I think the current cultural climate around all of these things and, you know, what name do you use for God? What gender do you use for God? All that stuff, like only, mm. only muddies all of this. Like it makes it, it, it just, it remove it makes something political and current that isn't, that isn't meant to be that at all, you know, because the gift in this language, in what Jesus is saying, and remember Jesus had no, he was, that the issues that we're facing in our, our language today is not what he was facing. Mm-hmm. The gift here is that it's redemption to have a restored relationship with our father, our real father, our, our heavenly father. And that is, mm-hmm. you know, yep. the gift is to have comfort in your heavenly father. Nothing but perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear. There's no pain. There's no, um, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't that be fantastic to have with your have your earthly father right and i know most many people don't but the invitation is to have it with your real father and and really the mystery is the invitation is to accept that it is already done like it is given it's not a, it's not an if right you don't start the you don't start the lord's prayer with if you are our father if I have, you will be my father. It, you, Jesus starts the prayer with, because of me, and this is the, this is one of the things, again, one of the common, all the commentators note is that we only have, we only have the ability to start the prayer with our father because God himself in Christ literally commanded it and said we could. And that is based on the fact that Jesus intimately knows and is there to procure and enforce and and make certain that God's will towards us is good and only ever good. And there's no if. <laughs> like, So it, it is powerful stuff. I know that I'm sure Peter wants to chime in here a little bit, but I, I got to jump in and say, in relation to what you just said, I think you're exactly right. And, and the, the imagery of being adopted and throughout scripture really comes in here. Um, you know, an orphan uh, child really doesn't have much say. And I, and I love, in, in accordance with what you're saying, Brandon, is, is God just steps into that gap and says, nope, I'm, I'm it almost as almost like scooping you up and saying, you're mine. And, um, I'm not, I'm not asking your permission to be your father. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this and, and I'm adopting you in your mind now, um, in, right. in such a, like, it's a rescue, right? It's a rescue. And I, and mm-hmm. I, I think it marries in with the, uh, the rest of what the, the new Testament says about being adopted into God's mm-hmm. family. Yeah. It's like the only opportunity then, or the only, um, the only thing that is being asked of us in these words then is to consent to them, to agree with, to not resist them. Um, the reality 
of Christ, of Jesus, what he does. And, and so sticking with the imagery that you're using, Pete, uh, Matt, is the idea that, you know, God is like scooping us up out of rescuing us out of something. He's, he's not asking us whether we want him as his father or not. He's saying, I am your father. The opportunity for you, the, the if for you, if there is one, is do you, do you agree or not? Do you accept it or not? It's not, he's not going to, he's not going to stop being your father. He's not going to stop being caring about you. He's not going to ever have anything but goodwill towards you. But you can say, I don't want it. And I think every time we pray, our father, it's that opportunity for, to begin prayer in the only act that we actually have, right? Is this, this act of just surrender, laying down my resistance. Okay. I believe you have goodwill for me. I agree. Mm -hmm. That was there before I asked for it. That's going to be there after it. It's going to be there even if I reject it, but I have, but I can say, yeah, I agree. You're, you, you have goodwill for me. You want, you are my father. You are our father. Um, some quick cross references for people who are interested to dig deeper. Um, and these are not the only ones, but you could look up John 1, 12. You could look up 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Galatians 3, 26 through 27. Romans 8, 15 through 17. All of these things kind of expand on this idea of adoption. God is our father. Uh, if, you, if you want to go yep. deeper, feel free. And you, you left out one of my favorites. You left out, you left out 1 John 3, 1. Um, oh, there you go. Right. Which, yeah. Which is uh, just, and I, I love somebody was uh, com was commenting on that passage and talking about how jo John, in writing that letter, almost kind of takes a takes a right turn off off the main road and just starts emoting, like how how amazing is God's love that we should be adopted? You know, it's almost like he forgets that he's trying to teach and just get, goes into this is the most amazing thing. And he just can't help but bubble over with this joy. Uh, would that people could, I, I, so I don't know how to do this. I, I mean, this is one of the things I want so badly for people is to be able to hear the kind of emotion behind the scriptural authors. Because I, yeah, absolutely. You're right. Like that passage in first John, like if we, if we were to dramatize it, I think you're absolutely right. It's he's like, he got he, an idea came and he's just like meditating on it. Just like, this is brilliant. Oh, I have not, you know, and there's just this such passion of joy in it. And I wish we could read it that way instead of yeah, sort of always nitpicking it apart for factual stuff. Yep. <laughs> um, I think a lot of scriptures like that actually. So, um, hallowed be thy name, our father who art in heaven or who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, okay. The word hallowed was set aside for just a second. Focus on the fact that there's a name. Hmm. So one of the most profound ish points in this part of the prayer is that God has a name. And as soon as you start thinking about where does the name of God connect in scripture, 
like you you suddenly realize why the fathers say this is like an entire compendium of all that God taught because the name of God is throughout all of scripture as being a really significant theme. Obviously, let's go right back to the Old Testament where God, you know, um, I have it pulled up, right? It's Exodus 3.13. Um, Moses, Moses asks God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And... You know, we could dive into what that means, how God, how his name shows up, Jesus claiming that name for himself in the New Testament and getting almost stoned for it. Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, Uh, like, so, but God has a name, like a literal, actual name. He is a person, not a thing. That's like the most basic meditation here (laughs) that god is not just a principle he's not a idea he's not a power he is a actual he who is a person and he has a name and we can talk we can address him if you haven't meditated on that ever (laughs) if if that's like if you've never paused with that for a minute and just noticed the difference between the way Christianity, the way Jesus talks about God versus the way almost all other religions talk about their God. You know, our God has a personal name. Yahweh, if if you want that, right? That's the Jesus. He's not just God, which for mm. like, like Allah, Allah just means God. It's all, it's, it's a generic term. No, our our God has an actual name. I don't I don't know how else to make that. Like I I want to just offer that as like pause, people. <laughs> well, and I um maybe this isn't where you're going with this. Um, but again, kind of going back a little bit to the the uh, uh, apologetic approach of of things and um personal names go with persons, right? And uh, the idea that we're not speaking to a force. Like we're not speaking to the universe or a benevolent entity out there. Um, we lose so much in our understanding of what God is like when we forget that he is a person, um, not a human being, but a person. And a person has these, ad- I mean, part of the reason why we are persons is because we were given that by God, right? There is a, there is a level of entity that we ascend, that we ascend to that's beyond biological because of we are persons and we share that that's part of God's image on us um and the fact that God is a person means that he's knowable it means that he's we can interact with him he has will he has desires and goals and aspirations um and one of the biggest ones is a union with us right so yeah I, I hadn't really thought or made much of what you just said about uh, the fact that God has a name and it's in the Lord's prayer and we get to call on that until you mention that. So that's that you're right that I haven't meditated on that. So thanks for bringing that. Yeah. I think they, to jump off of what you just said, Matt, that he's knowable. It also means that someone knows me, 
right? Like God, God, the, the person God can think about me, have knowledge of me, be interested in me. And someone knows me, someone cares about me when, and it's not just like you said, it's not, I'm not just asking the universe for favor. I'm addressing the one who actually, I'm in the mind of a person. Um, another interesting point about the name is that throughout scripture, where God puts his name, he puts his name in and on the things where he dwells, right? So his name dwells in the temple or in the tabernacle. So being being claimed by God, like you are owned by this, by Yahweh, make is we are now the temple of God. And so the 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 continuation of the adoption theme is here. When God gives you his name, he puts his name on you. When he adopts you into his family, you take on, right? Like, uh, it's like giving you a new last name. So I'm, uh, I'm Brandon, the son of Stu Booth and so on. Well, now I'm Brandon, the son of God. That means I'm entitled to all of the protections that my father would give me. I'm entitled to the inheritance. That's a word that you, Jesus uses. <laughs> this adoption idea. I'm entitled, entitled to all the rights of the son of the king. What are, you know? That's pretty powerful stuff. Or daughter of the king. Because he has claimed me as his son, his daughter. I bear his name. Um, the, there's a ancient author, Peter Chrysologus. He says, Chrysologus, he says this, Brothers, this name is what the highest powers fear, what they defend with the most fearful certitude. This name is what puts demons to flight. This name alone is what frees souls that are captive to the savageness of the devil. This is the name that gives salvation to a lost world. So God has a name and God gives us that name, which is salvation. We are justified, made right with him at peace and adopted into his family. And we have an inheritance, as Peter says, that is undefiled and unperishing. Um. The word hallowed, uh, if you want to change that to a more modern language, just means holy. That's all it means. So uh, it's modern renditions are holy be your name. Um, this is a petition. This is asking God. We're saying, God, let your name, may your name be honored, set apart, holy, set apart. Here on earth, may your name be kept pure. May your reputation, if you want to put it that way, be um, honored so that when people hear your name, what they hear is good things. The opinion they have is good things. So we're asking for that. And one of the things we're asking for is like, it's like asking, Lord, fix the problems within the church. Fix the problems out there that when people are giving you a bad name, when they're giving you a bad reputation, rectify that. So that when people hear about you, they will have, they will know the true you and the goodness of you. Another thing we're saying, so that's like the ask, right? It's like, Lord, 
would you please fix the problems of people making bad of you in the world? The other thing we're doing is it's an opportunity for us to say, Lord, help me to be one of those honor, to honor your name. May your reputation, the fact that I bear your name as a child of God means that I then go out into the world and represent you. Help me to act and believe and or act and be in ways that bring honor to your name. So there is an opportunity here for like repentance even a little bit. And okay, Lord, I, I need help. <laughs> Please help me to act in the way that is appropriate to a child of God. So that's what we're asking for, right? That's what we're saying there. Um, uh, I think this quote is from Gavin's book. Lord, he says it this way. When we pray hallowed or holy be your name, it's as if we're saying, Lord, please preserve us and guide us that our lives and behavior and words will be like yours. Please help us to keep your reputation good in the world. Please help all preachers and teachers to preach and teach about you correctly. And please help us to live lives of love and respect so that all who see us might know the kind of person you are. I really love the two sides of that petition or the one of recognizing that where God places his name, like there is power and salvation, like he dwells there and, and that he does that to us, right? And our adoption and our baptism, right? we're baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that there's something like irrevocable done to us um, in that moment that's not about me at all. It's about God's name. And then it's the flip side of like, oh my gosh, that I bear his name and, and what an incredible gift, but it almost has this effect of prompting that repentance, prompting that, Lord, help me to live up to this incredible gift. Like, wow, you've redeemed me place your name upon me i don't want to i don't want to like smear that name to to the world i want people to know you as this gracious god who lovingly adopts us so help me help me to honor your name in my life and i don't know i really love the way that that for, for me holding those both intention in the same petition even is like doesn't uh, for me, at least it cuts off the headways of like legalism about like, oh, I've got to, I've got to do this. It's like, no, it was gift in the first place. You placed your name upon me, but it incites this desire to then say, well, I want to represent this incredibly wonderful, gracious God well to the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the paradox of justification and sanctification, right? It's the justification is the free gift. Sanctification is the thanks, the grateful response. And in this petition, we're, we're invited to meditate on the gift so deeply that the grateful response is natural and not something that I'm thinking about, but then also is something I, I'm conscious of. It's the fruit of the spirit, which are the fruits of the capital S spirit. <laughs> These are the gifts that the Holy Spirit works in us. And the work out your salvation in fear and trembling. <laughs> it's it's all in this petition. Like these are the things that. So the way I understand, like what I was just referencing is stuff later in the epistles, right? In Paul's epistles. Um, the way I understand what Paul is doing in the epistles is just unpacking the stuff 
that Jesus taught about what he was like when he Jesus when Jesus taught this is what he was teaching what Paul is saying Paul's just sort of saying yeah this is what that stuff means here's let's unpack it you know this everything you were saying is 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 new to me in that way because and maybe this is just a difference in traditions or or it might just be my own immaturity I don't know but the I've always understood that first section of the Lord's prayer as as not not as a petitionary thing, but as a a declaration of worship, like you are holy God. But the idea of that it could also be petitioner petition. What, what am I trying to say? Asking a question, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, requesting something, yeah, yeah. That's that's new to me. I'm still thinking about that, and I guess there's a part of me that's like, is it is it a petition or is it a declaration? Is it worship? Because I've always, like I say, I've always been told. The Lord's Prayer starts out with a dec- with, with with worship. It begins with acknowledging who God is and worshiping Him. So that's I don't know. That's just a new perspective. Yeah, and I don't think it's in either or here. I think it's a both and here. Um, the commentary tradition is to first think of this as a petition. Like that's the primary way that most of the ancient commentators, reform commentators, address it. But that, but but many of them also rec, like also it is also a declaration of praise. Like it's not, it's not exclusively one or the other, right? I mean, there's a sense in which it's. I mean, I think the the main thing would be to say that it's a declaration of praise in that it's a petition is probably the way to resolve sort of the tension. Like, it's not just a statement of fact. Yes, your name is holy. It it is. Because we're praising God and acknowledging his name is holy, there's a request. In it. Hmm. But I guess I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't like, I wouldn't want any listener or anyone to get too hung up on that. Like, it's not, this isn't a point of like, you're wrong if you thought of it that, I mean, that's not, no, we're not trying to, don't get, don't get hung up on being super accurate about the. Allow it to be a mystery that can unfold in many different ways. Sure. Yeah. Well, and like I say, it just, it's new. It's a new way of thinking about it. And um, I mean, I like it. I like the, um, yeah. and I think it does open that up a little bit more. Um, so I, I'm sorry if I, if that was a distraction or, or a rabbit trail. I just, no, it was no. new to me. I don't, I think that's a really good, I think probably many people were thinking that because I think I learned it that way too. Um. I have a little side project that's very slowly coming along of kind of collecting all the church father's sayings on the Lord's prayer and making them, kind of paraphrasing them. Um, and I keep wanting to really work on it and haven't done it, but eventually it's, eventually we'll have a, I, I want to have a place on our website where you can go and just like read by petition, all the different things that commentators have said. And I've got a lot of them collected. It's pretty, it's, it's awesome to be able to see it kind of all lined up like that and would be a way to deep dive into these things. Um, okay. So let's move on the, the ne- so it's our father who art in heaven. Um, hallowed be thy name. And then we have thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And 
we're going to break those two things up just a little bit. The thy kingdom come and thy will be done. They're obviously kind of one line, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, but let's pause for a moment first on thy kingdom come. So the kingdom of God, a central theme in Jesus's teaching. He talks about it all the time throughout, um, throughout his teachings. He's continually referencing this idea of the kingdom of God and even that the kingdom of God is already here. And he's referencing as we fight, you know, as, as, as becomes clear after the resurrection to everyone, he's referencing himself prior to that. It was very confusing what he was talking about, but the kingdom is him, his presence. This kind of ties right back into what we just said by putting God's name on us, by adopting us into the family of God. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We have been rescued from the kingdom of Satan and now in the kingdom of, G of God, the father. And Satan was our king. Now the God, the father is our king because of the resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus. So there's that theme throughout all of this. Um, when we ask for God's kingdom to come, <laughs> uh, thy kingdom come, there's several things we're asking for, right? We, we are similarly saying, Lord, come and rule, <laughs> bring an end to this, this, this sinful, deathly world, your peace. We're asking for him to come back, <laughs> right? We're asking for Jesus to return and finally defeat fully all of the evil. So we're, we're praying for the end. We're looking to the end and saying, Lord Jesus, come soon, come swiftly. We are also, again, praying for his kingdom to come as it did when Jesus came, and it's already here in our hearts, that, that our heart, our motivations, our lives would be ruled by God, not by sin. Lord, help me to surrender to your ways. Help my church, help the Christians as a whole to be the place where the kingdom of God is made manifest here and now, that it doesn't need to come in. The, you know, so it's the now and the not yet. It's the idea that God's kingdom is here already in us and will come in its fullness in the end. And we're praying for both. We're saying, come now, <laughs> end it. And also, Lord, may it come in our hearts and in our lives. Of course, again, then there's the same exact um, invitation, which is we acknowledge we're living in a, in a tension that, that I have an old nature and a new nature <laughs> and I, I'm what I'm surrendering my allegiance to the old kingdom. I'm having this opportunity to say, I will no longer live according to those rules. I want to live according to the new kingdom rules. Um, I think that in that sense, it's kind of a battle cry. Like there's this beautiful sense in which me saying thy kingdom come can be this like 
cry of of a battle against the flesh nature and the forces of evil and i'm like yes lord i'm 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 in the fight <laughs> let me slay the old nature and 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 be with you in the new um as well as and this is the thing i have that paradox if you think of the metaphor that you, that, that god uses of the christus victor model right that we were we were we were bound by Satan and trapped in his kingdom. And the and Jesus, the strong man, comes in and defeats him and brings us into the new kingdom. But but we were so fallen and so turned that we were fighting on the side of the devil against him. And Jesus comes in, kills our king, and now says, Surrender, become part of my kingdom. And when we say, Thy kingdom come. It's the waving of the white flag. It's us saying, "Yes, Lord, we we give in. We were no we no longer will fight against you." And I think so. I mean, there's just so much there that you could be saying and can be saying that to meditate on. And I think this is why pausing with these phrases, like, "What do you need today? Do you need to surrender? <laughs> is that sin biting at your heels, and you need to be like, Lord, I give up. I I give in to you. Or do you need to be like?" I'm in. I'm in for the fight. <laughs> yeah, both of them are available to you in this in this petition. Yeah, and and like you were mentioning, Matt, the tension between understanding as a declaration and a petition. I'm hearing that again in this. It's sort of like it's a declaration. God's kingdom is going to come, right? He's yeah, the king. Yeah. He's all powerful. There's nothing we can like. Do we? Is he waiting for us to ask for it so that he has permission? No, he. Like you said, he's the conquering king who has all authority, all power. His kingdom's going to come. So then why is it like, so yeah. that's the declaration. But then there's the petition of like, you know, like what you were explaining there, Brandon, like, let it, let it come in me or let me join. Let me take your side. Like, I don't know. So I'm, I'm hearing the both and of the, the declaration side. And then the, in light of that declaration, here's what I'm asking. Align me with your kingdom. Bring me under mm -hmm. your rule and your reign. Mm -hmm. You know, you. Um, I'm reminded of a, a lesser known book by by Paul. Everybody knows Paul Bunyan because he wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress, right? But uh, there's he wrote another allegory called Holy War, which kind of turns a lot of people off, I think, for reading that book because holy wars are not often associated with good things. Uh, but it's another allegory. Yeah. And in the story, he's basically telling the story of a city in which um, Jesus has come and conquered and, and, and rescued from the power of Satan. And yet the, the, it's not completely complete, right? Uh, all the citizens of this city, Satan is still present trying to retake the city. Um, and uh, all the different characters in the book... Um, could be our various temperaments and our moods and, and our inclinations and our motivations that uh, wage war within us of which which kingdom do we want to rule this city? And the city is us, right? Yeah. And so uh, yeah. some people have said that it's actually his greatest book, um, but Pilgrim's Progress gets all the all the hype. And but I, it was it's it's a it's a phenomenal um, allegory yeah. as well for yeah. people who like allegory. It's great. I think that, yeah, and that's like the perfect picture of of this part of it where we're, 
the kingdom of God is already present in us, but there's also, you know, there is this other part that's still alive or still around and there's a war. Yeah. Uh, uh, amen. It, it is true. Uh, yeah, Peter, I do think it's true. Like it is good to point out that it is also, a, it's, as you said, God's kingdom's coming, whether you like it or not, it's, it's going to come. And there is an element of that where we're aligning ourselves with that. We're just saying, amen, your kingdom is coming. Praise be to God that this is all going to be final and God's going to rule. Um, just some cross-references if you're interested. Uh, Matthew 3.2, Mark 1.15, Mark 4.26, Mark 10.14, Luke 17, 20 through 18, 23, and then Psalm 103, 19 through 21. Those are just a very small number of cross-references that if you want to look at, you can. There's many, many more that connect, of course. So then we kind of, we, we, here we land at our last petition for today, which is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So perhaps the first thing to note is God's will. Um, that we, I think, are invited to meditate on what God's will is. And I want to caution you not to jump to what is God's will about my behavior. In the question of what is God's will, like what does he want to do and accomplish? That's way, way down on the list of things to like, you'll get there. But let's start with kind of the cosmic. What is God's purpose and will and desire? Well, we've just got done praying it. God's purpose, will, desire is that you be his child and that peace reigns on the earth. We are recording this prior to Christmas. You will be hearing this after Christmas. But what is the phrase that we hear, the constant refrain that we hear during this time of the year of Christmas? Well, it was the declaration about Christ. When Jesus came and the angels sang on high, peace and goodwill towards man. This is God's will. Peace hmm. and good to all mankind. When Jesus's kingdom first came, it came with peace. It came with goodwill. He wanted the best for everybody. He desires all men to come to salvation. So begin just there. When we're invited to meditate on the will of God, thy will be done is a truly terrifying statement if the first place your mind jumps to is what God wants to do is murder us all. If that's so, so, okay, to put it in the context of like what I deal with every day in spiritual direction, this is of all of them, probably the most poignant place to meditate on the character of who God really is. And the way you feel about this particular line, thy will be done, is huge, hugely impacted by the way you think of who God is and what he wants. 
And so like, let's jump all the way back and then I'll pause for a second. But Matt, you were talking about the very beginning, right? That our calling God, our father can be such a stumbling block for those of us who have very difficult father figures. Well, like this is that line. If, if my image of the father is that he's abusive and hateful and neglectful or whatever, then the one thing I'm never going to say is dad, your will be done. That, that would be the last thing I ever want to say. So here we're invited for that redemption of the father to happen. I'm only going to say thy will be done if his will is actually good for me. And then, then recall the context. Recall where Jesus teaches this prayer in both Matthew and Luke. In both cases, the Sermon on the Mount and in the response to the question, the surrounding context is all about who God really is and how good he is. Like it's, this is my, this might be like the junction point in the prayer where everything hinges because it seems to be the thing that Jesus is most interested in teaching us who God really is, what he really thinks of us. And I think that's the junction point because Jesus himself, that's his point. Death on the cross is the final declaration that God loves you. Yeah. I love you so much. I'll die for you. Is God's, well, you want to know God's will. God's desire, God's purposes, God's intentions is that he loves you so much. He'll die for you. I could pray this now. Yeah. All right, Lord, thy will be done. Well, what's your will? Well, that you save me, that you rescue me that you provide for my needs, that you keep me from sin, that you wash me and clean me, that you bring me to heaven, that even in suffering, you're with me. These are all the things that you will. Yes, 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 please, your will be done. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to pause there for a second. Thoughts? I think that's so good. And I and I appreciate uh, kind of rescuing that phrase out of um, out of the way that's sometimes been used. I know, I, I know, um, uh, various individual churches or denominations can sometimes, well, or, or maybe just unhealthy people within our group, uh, individual congregations can kind of weaponize God's will as a way of of controlling other people or coercing people to to into their own uh, social or political agenda. Um, and uh, I appreciate the, the just kind of stepping in and rescuing it from uh, that context and saying, hold on. Um, let's, let's not, um, I don't know, have, have you, have any of you all ever had that situation where somebody comes and says, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you what God's will is for your life and here's what you got to do. Yeah. And that's okay. So that's the, that's what I meant by like, don't jump to the end. Yep. Right. Um, it, we, it's, it, God's will has weaponized so, especially politically in our culture today, like the, which, okay, let me finish this thought real quick. The first thing we're invited to do is meditate on who God is and what his actual will is for, and what I just said. The second thing we're invited to do is ask for his will to be done in me. <laughs> like, right. So now it's, what I'm saying is thy will be done 
in me, like let me be conformed to thy goodness. So again, this is that like, I want to be your child and act like your child. So I want to have the same will that you have. Lord, let me think of my brothers as you think of my, as you think of them. Let me think of my, my fellow brothers and sisters, humans, my fellow humans, as you think of them. I want to have the same will that you have. Thy will be done in the world for sure, but also in me as I do it. And then the third thing, and this, that's why it's a hierarchy. It's like, now we're down to, we're also asking for God to curb the evil in the world and bring peace. We're praying for our leaders. We're praying for wars. We're praying for famine. We're praying for all the things in the world that are out of, out of order, not according to God's will. And I think there's the appropriate place for us to say we are asking for political wrongs to be righted as a, but we're also asking for, you know, tsunamis to not kill people. And I mean, so yes, we are correctly, there is a place in this petition for what we might call justice and social consciousness and things like that. But if you started that one, then you have the wrong character of God underlying it because more often than not, that, that in, invites us to meditate on like, God's kind of mad and petty and angry and we got to fix it. Well, he's mad about war. He's mad about tyranny. He's mad about political injustices because of his will that of goodwill to all peace and goodwill to all humans. So you have to, I really do think you have to have it in the right order to really understand what you're asking for. That's the, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are asking for the, the, the rule, the just rule of God that exists in heaven to be made real and manifest here in our, on, uh, in our sinful earthly context. And we are then also recalling and asking again for Christ to come and complete the work to bring the heavenly rule and unite heaven and earth because that's the end goal. When, when all is said and done and Christ returns, what happens is heaven comes down to earth and now the two are the same. You know, heaven and earth are no longer separate. <laughs> we are, we are, it's all one thing. And so we're looking forward to that and asking for that to come quickly. Uh, some cross-references cross references you might want to look up. Luke 1, 38. Luke 2, uh, sorry, Luke 22, 42. And then there's a bunch of Psalms. Psalm 143, 8 through 10. Psalm 145, 4 through 6. And Psalm 119, of course. So, um... All right. That's a lot of information. I, and I just, I want to tell the listeners, listeners, this just scratches the surface of the kinds of things that people have meditated on within the Lord's prayer. There is much, much more if you dig into the, the rich commentary tradition. So yeah, but that, that is all I've got. Uh, last thoughts or Next time, last last episode, we'll cover the the your petitions. I'm sorry, not the your petitions, the our petitions, where we start asking for things for us. Can't wait. I'm excited about that. 
what what I remember most from your conversation with Father Gavin, you talk about why why are you talking about the mysteries of the Lord's Prayer? And you mentioned this right at the beginning. A mystery doesn't mean, oh, we don't know, and it can't be known. But it's, and he used the word, it's unfathomable, meaning that we can never know everything. But there's also this deep invitation to continue to learn and learn and learn. And there's like a richness, like an invitation to yeah. just a never-ending growth of intimacy and understanding who God is by praying this prayer and, and meditating on it. And to me, that was inviting rather than like, oh, it's a mystery and can't really know. It's like, no, yeah. there's so much here that you could fruitfully spend your entire life, you know, it, with God meditating over who he is and how he has invited us to talk to him. And we would never, the, the, the benefits we would gain would never cease. And so to me, that's just like an encouragement of like, wow, I, right. I can absolutely sit with this more and, and God will right. grace me with more and more goodness. Right. And I think that just that to wrap this up, that the invitation I have for our listeners is that pray the prayer slowly and allow the words. It just these are all of the things that we've said are just places for your mind and your soul to to kind of latch onto for a moment. Uh, the Lord's Prayer in my own personal devotional spiritual life has frequently been the anchor in a time in times of great storm. It you know slows my mind down, but then what'll happen is one word or a petition or a phrase will just explode as being the thing that my soul and life needs for that moment. So I have prayed the Lord's prayers in my personal life at times and just gotten absolutely stuck on a certain phrase. For example, thy kingdom come. I got stuck there for like three months and that was just my prayer. And because in the moment of my life, what those words meant were the, were the desperate cry of my heart and were the desperate need that I had. And they were just this endless opportunity for me to talk to God about it and to receive from God the assurance that he has what he had for me. And I, I, I just, I want, I long for you all listeners to have that experience too. So my prayer is that you will, that you will pause with it and things will just kind of become all encompassing for you. Thank you guys. Um, listeners, thank you. And uh, may the grace of Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Signpost In, a nonprofit Christian ministry dedicated to helping people connect with God and find direction. We offer spiritual direction, retreats, and lots of other resources like this podcast. Please visit us at signpostin.org to learn more. We especially want to thank our generous donors who support our work and keep this podcast going. If you've benefited from something you've heard on this show, please consider supporting us by making a tax-deductible gift at signpostin.org donate. That's signpostin.org slash donate. And thank you.